Well, we are concluding a series of messages uh, in a family series that we've had here at Windsor Road. If this is your first Sunday here, uh, my name is Randy, and it's just a privilege to serve as a senior minister here at the church. And uh, I want to conclude this series with the theme of releasing our children, releasing our children. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to... The book of Genesis, the very first book, Genesis chapter 48. I'm going to be reading verses 8 through 22. You'll find Genesis 48, 8 to 22, uh, beginning on page 41 of your church Bibles, the black Bibles that are in the pouch in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please take it, uh, a copy, and put your name in it, and please receive it uh, from uh, your church family here at Windsor. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 48, verses 8 through 22. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, Israel, that's Jacob, the four main patriarchs in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Jacob is also known as Israel. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, He said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, father, since this one is the firstborn, you put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, 
I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. This is the word of the Lord. Two years ago, Sarah and I began a a new season in our family life, a season of releasing our sons, our younger son graduating from high school, our older son graduating from university, and that same summer, uh, my older son, Benjamin, was married right here. And I underestimated the emotional impact that that season had on me. I was kind of poker face and I'm going to have, you know, kind of be the man type of thing. And I was doing pretty well, actually. I was quite pleased with myself. Um, until I stood right here and my son stood here and my daughter-in-law stood here. And when it came time for me to speak, I couldn't, uh, which is rare for those of you who know me. Um, I couldn't speak. I, I couldn't. I couldn't even breathe. And I was totally unprepared for the emotional impact of releasing, releasing our children. And I want to talk about that today, because some of us are in this season where we are releasing our children to the future that God has for them. And I want to answer two questions here today about this issue of releasing our children. The first question is, why is it such a challenge? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to release our children to God's future for them? I want us to answer that question. And then the second question is, how can we release them? How can we free them to the future that God has for them? So that's where we're going this morning. Let's talk about the first question. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard? The assumption behind that question is it is, in fact, difficult and hard. And uh, um, we can be ambushed emotionally at the challenge of releasing our children. And I see three reasons why it is a challenge to release our children. And the first reason has to do with uh, the parents. Uh, We have poured so much time and so much energy and so much passion into rearing our children, and uh, then it's time to release them, and we don't know what to do with our time. We We don't know what to do with ourselves. And we have, for almost two decades, we have chauffeured them, we have financed them, we have adjusted our calendars around them, Um, We have uh, given to them. We have uh, 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 attended their practices and supported them at their games and then gone to the sports banquets. And then now what do they do? They leave. They leave. And if you're married, if you're married, now you have this other person in your relationship, your spouse, Here you've given a lot of attention to your children and now, you know, they don't need you like they needed you early, but you still have this spouse and now you've got to reconnect. Now you've got to figure out how you're going to relate to the person who really, really needs to be the primary relationship in your family. And 
That's an adjustment. It really is. So much so that, you know, we kind of can find it easy just to stay focused on our children, even when they're adult children. And it's just easier this way. We don't have to face this, you see. It's a challenge. Well, there's another reason, and it doesn't so much have to do with the parents. It has to do with our children. We pour so much time and so much energy and so much passion into them, and we uh, provide for them, and we give them, and we shelter them, and we feed them, and we clothe them, and they kind of like that. (laughs) Right? I mean... Why would they want to leave? Mom and dad pay for the cell phone. I got cable, internet. I've got a nice mattress, three square meals a day. Why do we, why leave? This is great. What? Join the army? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Boot camp? Come on. I stay home. And in those cases, mom and dad, you need to lovingly pull them aside. So we love you, we care about you, we want God's best for you, we know God has equipped you, we care deeply about you, leave. (laughs) Right? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. There's a third reason why it's difficult to release our children, and it doesn't have anything to do with necessarily us as parents or our children. It has to do with the world. The world. Our world um, encourages parents to bubble wrap their kids. Bubble wrap their kids. I'm thinking of Lenora Skenazy. Lenora Skenazy lives in New York City. She writes for the New York Sun. And She has two children. When one of her children at the time was nine years of age, uh, Izzy, Izzy Skenazy, huh? (laughs) Yeah. When Izzy was nine years of age, he kept pestering his mother uh, to allow him to ride the subway home from Bloomingdale's department store all by himself. And he would not let up. And so she finally gave him permission. She gave him $20. She gave him a map. She gave him a Metro card. She thoroughly schooled him on, you know, if there were issues, who to ask and who to stay away from. And then she released him. And, of course, he got on the subway from Bloomingdale's and got home and everything was fine. She wrote about it in one of her columns in the New York Sun. And a media frenzy occurred that really just kind of went viral. One tabloid uh, labeled her America's worst mom. How could you allow this kind of thing to happen? Well, she's a New Yorker, so she pushed right back. And it was a catalyst for her to author a book that's called Free Range Kids. In fact, there's a website that she hosts called freerangekids.com. And the website is dedicated, these are her words, the website is dedicated to fighting the belief that our children are in constant danger from creeps, 
kidnapping, germs, grades, flashers, frustration, failure, baby snatchers, bugs, bullies, men, sleepovers, and or the perils of a non-organic grape. (laughs) She says it's just ridiculous how our world wants us to bubble wrap our kids. And this, this power to conform has just gotten out of hand. And she argues that you know, too many parents are, are spending too much time uh, trying to, you know, baby-proof their children's world instead of world-proofing their children. And too many parents are trying to make life for their children like one smoothie. No lumps, no bumps, uh, sweetness delivered every morning. When in fact, what we need to do as parents is we need to train and equip our children for the bumps and bruises and broken bones of life. We spend all of this time trying to equip our children and train them how to succeed when in fact we really need to be spending our time, as much time, training our children how to fail. And... Someone might ask, why would I want to train my child how to fail? And the answer is, because they will. They will. We need to equip them. And bubble wrapping won't help. Three reasons. One that deals with mom and dad. One that deals with the child. The other that deals with the world. I wonder, you know, in your experience, which... Uh, resonates with you, which one or two or maybe all. You know, honestly, I've kind of found myself in all three of those reasons. You know, there's um, been decades now uh, where we've been focused on our children, and now, you know, I have the most important person in our family that, you know, I need to continue to date and romance. And, uh, And by the way, this would be good to remind you, uh, of our conference that's going to be taking place next month, the uh, DNA for uh, relationships with couples that will be here at Windsor Road on a Friday night and Saturday. And I truly hope you'll take advantage of that conference. Sometimes we, we neglect that primary relationship in our family, the husband-wife relationship. Or if you are a single parent, you know, God may be calling you to other areas or responsibilities that he wants you to fulfill now that you have the margin and now that your child is grown and does not need day-to-day oversight as much. You see, what, what are you staying away from in that regard? Or maybe it is your child. Maybe, maybe you need to lovingly release your child and change the locks on your doors, you know, maybe. Or maybe we just need to push back against the world and its tendencies to want us to bubble wrap our kids. Well, how can we best release them? That's our second question. How can we free them to God's future? Our scriptures give us wisdom on this. And in a sentence, the best way that we can release and free our children to the future God has for them is to give them a gift. And it is the gift of the blessing. The blessing. In the Bible, and we saw this in our scripture today, 
there was a special occasion between parent and a child. And in this case, between grandparent and grandchild, where the older conferred a blessing upon the younger. This blessing was intended to confer an inheritance, so there was an inheritance dimension to that. At the same time, there were spiritual and relational dimensions as well. And as we look through this account with Israel and Joseph and his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, as we see this blessing that took place, I want you to see some components of this blessing because these components are relevant in our lives today. There are three of them. The first is the meaningful touch. The meaningful touch. The second is the spoken word. The spoken word. And the third is uh, the authentic or genuine commitment. Authentic or genuine or active commitment to see that this blessing comes to pass. So in Genesis chapter 48, we have grandfather, we have father, and sons. The story of Joseph's life is one of the uh, most touching stories I find in the scripture. Here, when Joseph was a young man, he was kidnapped by his brothers, sold as a slave to Egypt, and God took him as a slave in Egypt and raised him to the responsibility of prime minister. He went from pit to pinnacle by the hand of God. And there was a reunion, and there was forgiveness and reconciliation, and all of that has taken place. Joseph is still running the country for Pharaoh. And Genesis 48 has this special occasion where the blessing is conferred, where Israel wanted Joseph to bring his sons so that this blessing could be bestowed. And meaningful touch, spoken word, and active commitment was a part of that blessing. And, and I want to look first at the meaningful touch as, as Joseph brings his sons and Israel embraces them, and it's an affectionate time. You can see that in 48 verse 10. So Joseph brought them near him. He kissed them and embraced them. There it is, the meaningful touch, the touch that says, I affirm you, I approve of you, I love you, I am very present in your life. I'm right here, skin to skin. That's what we mean by meaningful touch. A four-year-old girl cried out one night during the thunderstorm, and her father came by, and uh, uh, he uh, affirmed her and said, sweetheart, everything is going to be okay. The Lord will take care of us. To which she said, I know that, Daddy, but I need someone with skin on right now. And that's what we see here, the presence of skin of touch, of affirmation. And it's not just four-year-olds that want this. Forty-year-olds crave this. I don't think we outgrow this. Uh, I know I haven't. I can tell you times in my conversations with my father how 
uh, will be sitting there on the couch and he'll just reach his hand over and he'll hold my hand. I'm 51 and I still crave the affection of my father. And dads, it is a masculine thing, a masculine thing for you to give a meaningful touch to your children. They'll never tell you that, but they crave it. They want your approval, and we need to give it to them. There is undeniable power in a meaningful touch, a touch that says, I accept you, I approve of you, you're not going to lose my love ever. That's huge the meaningful touch. And and the meaningful touch is then followed by the spoken word. It's not enough just to be present. It's not enough just to be present. Your mouth has to move. Your lips need to speak. And and I want you to notice the spoken word here reminded those boys that they were part of a larger story, a story that was bigger than themselves. It was as if Israel was saying to Ephraim and Manasseh, boys, you are, you are joining a story that God started, well, at the beginning of creation, but specifically a story that God started with your great-great-grandfather Abraham. You see, the point isn't that God wants to be a part of your story. No, no, no. God's not interested in being part of your story. God wants you to be a part of his story. He wants you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And that's what we see in verses 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who's redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them... Let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. So there's a bigger story here that's going on with these boys. And God wants those boys in his story. And that's why the spoken word was a word of high value. High value and special future. Words of high value. Words which communicate the message. Here is how I see God at work in your life. I see God giving you a heart of compassion. I see God giving you a heart of ambition. I see God giving you extraordinary ability to solve problems. Or I see God giving you an extraordinary ability to set goals. Parents, do you know the difference in your children? Do you? Would you say that your child is more of a problem solver? Or would you say that your child is more of a goal setter? See, it's different. There's a difference between the two. And it's a different way of of looking, a different way of seeing. And so, you know, if we expect, it's going to frustrate our children when we expect problem solvers to set goals. As it will frustrate them the other way around. See, do you know? And do you celebrate how your child is wired by valuing them, words of high value, and also words that communicate this special future. Verse 16, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And, and, and see in 17 and following how the future which Jacob had for those boys was not the future that Joseph wanted. 
See? So parents, it can't be your future that you want. It's got to be God's future. You see, where do you see that? Well, see what's going on here in terms of Israel conferring the blessing upon the boys. Joseph was trying to correct Jacob's placement of hands. So when Israel or Jacob stretched out his hands, here's Manasseh, here's Ephraim. So Israel had his hands placed out, and then what did he do? He crossed his hands. The right hand, the hand of blessing, went upon the younger, and Joseph's going, uh, Dad, no, poor Dad, he's got cataracts. Let me help him out a little bit. No, he said, I know exactly what I'm doing. Verse 19, his father refused. I know, my son, I know. Manasseh will also become a people. He shall be great. Nevertheless, the younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So it's got to be God's future for your child, not your future. Joseph should have known this. Why? I don't know why he didn't know this. Because was he not the youngest in his family at the time he was taken to Egypt, and did he not rise to become prime minister and leader of the family? See? In God's economy, in God's economy, the younger leads the older. Well, why is that? Because God is God and I'm not. That's why. The servant shall be the leader. The last shall be first. The younger shall lead the older. The weak shall best the strong. The foolish shall confound the wise. That's how it was with Joseph. It's God's way. Meaningful touch, spoken word, Active commitment. Active commitment. What is that? It means I am giving you the appropriate support you need so that you will know that I am with you and you will never, ever be alone. And I think that's what we see verse 22 saying where Israel gives Joseph a sliver of the promised land, one mountain slope, just a sliver of the promised land. What is that? That is a down payment. That is a portion of the promised land given in earnest in which Jacob assures Joseph and his sons, this tiny sliver that I now bequeath you is guaranteed that one day God's people will inhabit the whole land of promise, you see. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit, you can read about this in the book of Acts, came down upon the disciples in a powerful way and touched the disciples, meaningful touch. Spoken word occurred, the gospel going out. And the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the guarantee of more that is to come upon God's people, that we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives right here, right now allows us to go out with the spoken message of the gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, raised, telling us in no uncertain terms that in Christ the best is yet to come. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us. We've received the blessing in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The blessing, meaningful touch, spoken word, active commitment. That is our God. Now, now what might that look like practically in our lives today? Well, um, it might look like this. 
If you celebrate a birthday at the Bolting House, if it's your birthday and we're at our place and you're here and we're going to have a birthday dinner or dessert or whatever, we're going to get out the wooden stool. And you're going to sit on that wooden stool. And a couple of years ago, uh, Sarah started this. And it is a moment of blessing. And you will sit on that stool And everybody will surround you and place their hands on you. And you will receive a meaningful touch. And you will receive a spoken word in prayer. And you will receive the presence of people who love you as an active commitment that you're never going to be alone. And, you know, that might be a tradition that you might start in your family. Uh, What about here? It's the time of graduations and commencement. Why can't that be an opportunity for you to get the wooden stool out? And have that graduate sit on that stool and have joyful prayer over their lives. Actually, we're going to do that here in just a minute over our graduates. Um, Or maybe around the dinner table. Your mom or dad might tap the glass with their spoon. And they might say, you know, I said this to Johnny privately, but I want to say it out loud. I was so proud of the way he kept his cool when that umpire made that idiotic call at second base. Johnny's such a gentleman and a sportsman. Or what about our sons and daughters who are being commissioned or enlisted uh, for service to God and country? Why can't we offer a blessing to them? Uh, Or maybe on any given day, that kind of blessing would look like this. Mom or dad locking eyes with their child And grabbing a hold of them by the shoulders and saying this to them, listen carefully at what I'm about to say to you. It's very, very important. Do you hear me? I love you. I love you. Whether our children are four or 40, they crave this. They do. And they're looking for it. And we need to look for opportunities as well. Because, parents, we are the first, best, closest representatives of God to our children. Your pastor is not the first, best, closest representative. Neither are your elders. Parents, you are first, best, closest representative of God to your children. And they won't tell you this, but they long for your approval. They do. And if they won't find it from you, oh my, they may look for it in places we don't want them to go. I'm just thinking about our church family now. Can we be the kind of church that offers a blessing to those who come here Meaningful touch, spoken word, active commitment. Can we be the church that does that? Can we? Now, now you know why we have people come forward, right? Huh? The game is up. You know. People come forward, and we pray over them because we want to be a church that blesses people. God has been so good to us, we have plenty to share. We want to be the kind of community that gives what the world cannot give. And that is the blessing of God.
My favorite missionary story is from the life of John G. Patton. John G. Patton was a missionary in uh, the 19th century in the South Pacific. He ministered for decades, gave his life to spread the gospel in a previously unreached people group. Uh, The area of islands used to be called the New Hebrides, the New Hebrides, and now it has been, uh, it's called um, Vanuatu, which I think Survivor had a season in that part of the world. Until the mid-1900s, Christianity had not reached that part of the world. Try to wrap your brain around that for just a minute. But John G. Patton was a missionary, gave his life there. And today, some 90% of that culture claims some affiliation to Christianity. And it's due to God's work through John G. Patton. When Patton was a young man and it was time for him to go to seminary... He wrote in his autobiography about how his godly father released him to the care of Christ. Patton's hometown was 40 miles away from the train station. And they walked. 40-mile walk. And 40 years later, Patton remembered that day. And he wrote this. He said, My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as often was his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long flowing yellow hair streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and I saw him standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and too sore to carry me further. So I darted into the side of the road and I wept for some time. And then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike looking out for me. And he did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down and he set his face toward home and he began to return his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. And I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze. And then hastening on my way, I vowed deeply by the help of God 
to live and to act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. We release our children to the care of the Lord. And when we release them, see, we, we come to find out that we don't need to hover over them because someone else is hovering over them, the Lord himself. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. St. Patrick of Ireland once prayed, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eyes to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptations of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and anear, alone and in multitude, God's strength and his alone. Amen.